0: Well, good morning, Waters Church. Good to see you all here. Are we ready to get into God's Word this morning, this afternoon, whatever it is for you? We are so excited. I am so excited that you're here. And uh, it is a great day to be in the presence of the Lord. We're starting a new series called Come Home. Somebody say, Come Home. Come home. All right. Uh, take out your Bibles, Luke 15, and take out the notes if you're in-house. It looks like this. So notes like this, take them out, fill in the blanks. I've already done so because somebody gave me the answers already. Uh, If you're not in-house, you can get onto waterschurch.guide. It looks like this, waterschurch.guide, if you're online. And then you click on today's message, and you can click this and fill out the blanks digitally. Wonderful way of accessing the notes that way as well. And we're going to get into Luke 15. So before we get into that... A reminder or a little bit of an announcement, we have a new class slash course slash small group happening at our church, it's called Alpha. Alpha is an outreach to people who have questions about the Christian faith. We're starting this program at our church to reach out to people far from God, people that you might know. And it's a safe environment for them to ask their questions and we're so excited to get it started very soon. The person leading us named Medi. He is our location pastor for South Coast. He and his wife April will be leading this, this, uh, this group. And I believe it's going to be a real instrumental part of our church going forward to see people come and know Jesus. That's why we're here. We want to let people know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But we also want to do it in a relational manner. We do it on the Sunday morning, but we can also do it in a small group environment. And uh, at this point, here's where I'm at with the world, with the darkness that we see around us. I'm going to do anything that we can to reach as many people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I'm excited about that. More details to follow. You might not understand everything right now. That's okay. More details to follow. We're excited to get that started. Second thing i got to tell you is there's a Good Friday service at all of our locations um, on Good Friday. That is two Fridays from today. Can you believe it? We're almost to Easter. So two Fridays from now, we will be having two services. They are identical. Choose one and come. 4 p.m., ...or 6 p.m. Good Friday. What we do on Good Friday is we come in and we start with worship. We have scripture readings, a very short message... ...and then we go out of our buildings in complete silence. Complete silence. And believe it or not, our amazing Waters Kids ministry... ...has some way of keeping your kids quiet on the way out of church. I don't know what they do. It might involve drugs. Just trust them. They'll keep your kids quiet... (laughs) Uh, And they'll give them the right instructions. So we can all leave quiet because what we're doing on Good Fridays, we're remembering that there was a real death of Jesus. There was a real death. And we try to just kind of reenact what the disciples must have felt like that Friday night as they went home and thinking that that was it. It was over. And every year we do this, it makes Easter that much more real to us. Because it is a glorious truth. The resurrection of Jesus. It is the central doctrine of the Christian faith, the resurrection of Jesus. Paul says if, if Christ is not raised, we're all, mo, we're all more miserable than everybody. And uh, so we, we do Good Friday to kind of like windle, do, whittle down to quietness and silence, and then we come in on Saturday night, if you're a Saturday nighter, or, or Sunday morning on good, on Easter, sun, Easter Sunday, and we just shout and praise and rejoice because we know that the, the grave is defeated Hell is defeated. The devil is a loser. Jesus is alive. Amen. So that's going to happen in two weekends. Make sure you pick one of those services. Okay, let's get into the text. Come home, part one, everybody. Here we go. God's heart for those who are not home or God's heart for those who aren't home. Luke 15. I, I almost called this message, How to Get Lost. How to Get Lost. I really probably should have called it that. Let's, let's act like we've already called it that. Part one of Come Home, How to Get Lost. There, we'll just edit out all the other things right there. <laughs> I want you to write this down at the top of your notes. Easter is coming. Easter is coming. And I always get excited for Christmas and Easter. Because every Christmas and Easter, more people are going to come to church than at any other time in the year. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to have your game face on for the next two weeks and prepare your heart and get your your mind focused on being an inviter. Being an inviter. The world needs the light. And we are that light. Jesus is the light of the world, but He also told us that you are the light of the world. Why? Because we are the body of Christ. And I think about our Jesus. He came for sinners, He did not come. To start a religion, he came to rescue hopeless, lost people. And we are not a religious organization. We are a rescue operation. Can I get a good amen right there? We're here to see people come out of the darkness and into God's marvelous light. The reason why we are all about this at our church is because that's what Jesus was all about. In fact, we have a saying in our church. It's on the walls in all of our locations. We're here for those who are not yet here. All weekend, this has been happening. I've had, I've had that little pause right there at the last part, and this side of the audience has said it, and this have, side of the audience has been oblivious to it. So I'm thinking saved, not saved. <laughs> now let me illustrate that. Uh, you people over here should be concerned with these people over here. No, I know. I'm generalizing. I know. Okay. Anyway, but the point is this. That's what a church is for. And, and a church that, that turns inward is one of the worst places to be. We want to be outward focused. We're not going to become like the world, but we're going to go into the world because that's what Jesus did 2,000 years ago. He came into our world and He reached us. Amen. And, and so I want to prep our hearts for this. That's why the series has come home. I'm, I'm, I'm calling you home. I'm calling our church home. And I'm calling Lost Sinners home. And I, and I believe we as a church, if you're, you're saved, man, you got to be welcoming those people home. And an and, and inviter and, and active in being a participant of Jesus seeking the lost. But here's the thought. We will never, ever seek the lost until we understand how Jesus feels about them. Uh, you work with unbelievers, you might live with unbelievers, you might be related to unbelievers. And how many know, and, and, and I'm sure this is the case for some of you, that unbelievers can bug the life out of you. Poke at your faith, call your names, criticize you, ostracize you, marginalize you. and We're in a country right now where they're doing that from the highest levels of our government. Christian faith and belief is being sidelined on a regular basis. If you can't see that, you are blind. It's happening on a on an institutional basis in our government-run schools, in our government-sanctioned programs. We're seeing our country whole-scale, marginalized, devout Christian faith. It's the only faith, by the way, that you can mock and get away with it. The only movement that you can criticize, and no one calls you a hater. And then and we've got to be aware that Jesus told us this would happen. And the love of lawlessness, the love of pleasure, the love of, of godlessness would increase. And, and people would abandon the faith. But here's the thing. As we see the world getting darker, as we see it getting shaken by COVID, by plagues and famines, fires on the West Coast and floods on the East Coast, And then wars and rumors of wars and who knows really at this point what's true, what's lies. What's right, what's wrong on the news? We can't trust it. It's all a big mess. Jesus told us, expect this to happen. And when you see it happen, understand that's not a time to throw down your face and give up. That's a time to lift up your eyes and look because your redemption is drawing nigh. Jesus is at the door and he's on his way back. And as we awake the return of Jesus, we've got to be active and reaching as many people with the gospel as possible because I think all this shaking, a whole lot of shaking going on, is awakening a lot of people to their need for God. I want our church to be ready. Luke 15, stand with me as we read this passage. This is a very familiar passage. Well, at least part of it is. It says this in verse 1. Now, somebody say now. now. The tax collectors and sinners were all, somebody say all, Okay, so two words I just asked you to say for a reason. Now and all. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, Jesus. And the Pharisees, the religious people, the scribes, grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. The word so means for this reason. In response to what they were saying about him eating with sinners, he told them this story. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, does not leave the 99 if you lose one of them, And and you leave the 99 open country, and you go after the one that is lost until you find it. And when you find it, you lay it on your shoulders, rejoicing. Then you come home, you call together your friends, your neighbors. You say to them, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 that don't need to repent. Verse 8, another story. Or what woman... Having ten silver coins, if she loses a coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found that she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my coin that was lost. Just so I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said this last parable. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had. And he took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. How to get lost. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, I I ask in Jesus' name that you will speak to us. That our eyes will be open. Our ears will be open. Our hearts will be receptive. Our lives will be changed and transformed through the preaching and teaching of your word. And may we see Jesus, him and him only. In his mighty name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. amen. God bless you. Have a seat. Lost things. I love how Luke 15 opens. Two key words like I asked you to say. Now, the text collectors and sinners were all coming to hear him. Why is that important? Because sometimes the chapter divisions in your Bible are in the wrong place. You've got to connect Luke 14 to Luke 15. Don't let chapter divisions always be the start and end of where you read your Bible. The Bible comes alive when we widen our contextual view of the text And we see, oh, this is the reason for this text following that text. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus goes to another dinner party of a different sort of group. He goes to be the guest of a Pharisee. The Pharisees were religious people, the Pharisees were church goers. The Pharisees believed the Bible. The Pharisees tried their hardest to live out God's Word. The Pharisees believed that they were clean and holy and pure. And the world was dirty, yucky, and messy. And so in, in response to the du- ugliness of the world, they separated from the world. And they isolated from the world. And they, and they judged the world. And they kind of hated the world. And so when Jesus starts hanging with sinners and tax collectors and bad, dirty people, they don't like Jesus. And Jesus is at that party. And I shared a message series called For the Sake of the One right before Christmas, Based on Luke 14. How many of you remember that? And I talked about a message, the message of Luke 14. The, the title of the message was The Church That Jesus Annoys, The Church That Jesus Upends, The Church That Jesus Bugs. What kind of church is that? A religious minded church, an inward focused church, a church that's, that's only focused on people who are already in, has no heart for people who have lost and gone and going to hell. And Jesus does that in Luke 14. He goes to the Pharisees' house to, for a dinner party, and he just bugs the life out of those religious people. He criticizes them for wanting to be in the important seats. And how often do churches do that still to this day? I want to look important. I want to be important. I want to be on stage. I want to be in charge. I want to be, be in leadership. Well, why? For you or to help God's people? There's a big difference between wanting to be in charge and wanting to help God's people. The Pharisees just wanted to be in charge. They wanted to have the seat of Moses, Jesus says. They loved the important places in the synagogues. They loved being called rabbi and teacher and all those kind of titles. And Jesus just bugs them and says, look, don't do that. Don't act so super spiritual and religious just for the sake of being seen by others. And he just bugs these people for a whole chapter. Luke 14 just bugs them to death. By the time he's done at that dinner party, they're scratching him off the invite list for any of your future parties. So he goes to another dinner party in Luke 15, and this one is a different group, a totally different uh, audience, tax collectors and sinners. And I've always loved the fact that the Bible and the Gospels always puts the tax collectors as separate from the sinners, because to be a tax collector in that, in that time was probably one of the most hated Occupation you could be. You taxed your own Jewish people. You were hired by Rome, Gentiles, to tax your own Jewish people and take their money and you would overtax them to line your own pockets and Rome would help you do that and you would take the money of your people and put it in the hands of godless Rome whom the Jews hated. So to be a tax collector was to be a sinner in a whole nother category and yet Jesus is hanging with these people. Now you can understand why the religious people were all upset. This man claims to be a prophet, claims to be sent from God. And yet here he is hanging out with the very people that we know we should hate. And Jesus decides to tell them a story. But the funny thing about it is there's a passage of Scripture, there's a line from Jesus between Luke 15 and Luke 14. And I would claim, I would say that it is the most demanding text of all the Bible. The most demanding text of discipleship in all the Bible. And it comes from the mouth of Jesus. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And then he says this, whoever cannot take up his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That's demanding. Hating anything else that comes between you and Christ. Now he's not saying, go hate your mom and dad, hate your wife, hate your kids. I mean, for some of you, that would be easy. He's not saying that. He's saying, love less. Than me. I've got to be first. Now why does Jesus say I've got to be first? Because Jesus is God. And your first priority as a disciple is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Christ first. Jesus first. Some people say, am I saved? I don't know if I'm saved. Let me ask you a question. Is Jesus first in your life? Is he everything to you? Do you love the Lord? Are you ready to abandon all things and follow him? And then he says this in verse 33, if anyone, if anyone cannot de- renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. In other words, everything's on the table, Lord. You are God. You are Lord. And here there's an old good old preacher saying, if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And that, that the Lord has you in his hand, and you are his servant, and you are his object of his plan and purpose. And then in verse 35, he says, let Him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now on the heels of that text in Luke 14, 35 comes Luke 15, verse 1. Can we put Luke 15, verse 1 back on the screen? Because it says this, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to what? Hear him. And it's kind of interesting, isn't it? That the people who drew near when Jesus made his most demanding call for discipleship are the cultural outsiders. Now, we live in a very different context than the one in which Jesus ministered. In the one in which Jesus ministered, if you were very religious, you were considered part of the in-crowd. In our context, it's the opposite. There is a religion in our world. It's the religion of irreligion. The religion of irreligion is the popular group of our culture. The religion of irreligion is whatever you feel inside is what makes you you, believe it, accept it, receive it, and, and ostracize anybody who dares to reject it. The religion of irreligion is about materialism and consumption, how much can you get, how much can you own, how much can you acquire, how much can you have? Materialism, consumerism, you deserve it. It's your time, it's your life. Don't let anybody get in the way of your life, your dreams, your passions. That's the religion of irreligion. The religion of irreligion believes always lead to heaven. And all you need to do is try your very best and be sincere and you'll get to heaven. That's the religion of irreligion. But let me tell you something. There is absolute truth in Scripture that cuts across all of the irreligion of our age. It upends the apple cart of the insiders of our current context. And here's what I want you to know. That Jesus Christ can be offensive to the people who are on the inside of the context to which He speaks. And today, more than ever, I feel the need to speak the truth of Jesus to a culture that is embracing lies whole scale. The truth, not lies, is what we need to hear from today's pulpits and today's preachers. And the truth will set you free from the lies of this age as never before. As darkness continues to increase, we need to proclaim the light brighter than ever before. And Jesus cuts across the cultural Laws, the rules, the regulations of his day. And he makes this religious insider crowd upset while at the same time embracing the outsiders. Here's why that means good news for you. If you're an outsider today, good news, Jesus will receive you. And I look at our world and I look at the darkness and I look at the increase of all that we see and I say, man, there's still people that God is saving. This is a golden opportunity where we see how quickly people can go from the inside to the outside. Hello. Will Smith learned that this week, didn't he? <laughs> Man, the guy was cultural insider as insiders get. Front row seat at the most glorious, glamorous awards show that the America has ever created. I think it's awful full of nonsense, but they love it. And there he was. And one slap. Brought him down. One slap. Look. Jesus can sometimes be the slap in your life. You claim him, boom, you're outside. You say yes to Jesus, suddenly the people who used to love you now hate you. You trust in Jesus and suddenly people think you're crazy. You're out of date. You're on the wrong side of history. Where are you going? You've joined a cult. They tell you all kinds of weird stuff. No, they're part of the cult. We're the ones that the son has set free and we're free indeed. Indeed. And it is not our job to look down our nose at the world. That's what the religious people did in Jesus' day. It's our job to be the hands and feet of Jesus and go out into the world and be the light and the salt to a world that desperately needs to hear that Jesus Christ is alive. And that's what our church exists for. And let us never become a church that's stuffy and full of old, dusty religious people. But let us be active and involved in reaching those who are lost in sin. Because that's what our Jesus did. And that's what we're here to do. And I thought about this message, how to get lost. Three ways, three different things get lost. A sheep, a coin, a son. A sheep, a coin, a son. They all get lost different ways. So point number one, if you're taking those, is this. God sees every sinner's full story. That person that work that bugs you, who's a sinner, not a Christian, irreligious, atheist, agnostic, I don't know. Well, can I tell you, there's a story behind that. Sometimes we just take people at face value for how they treat us, and we've got to remember that there's a story behind them. Amen. Let me have you write this down so I know you're getting it. Not all sinners are lost the same way. Not all sinners are Not every sinner is just out to get you. They're just the product of their environment, the product of their upbringing, the product of their Imaginations, the product of their feelings, whatever. So three things, right? Sheep, coin, sh- son. Sheep, coin, son. Letter A, sheep, was lost because of his own foolishness. Some people get lost because they're just dumb. I shared a message series called Be Bold. We talked about Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, right? And I meant, the, the first point I made in that series was what? That if the Lord is a shepherd, that means that we are what? Bad. And I said, look, to be called a sheep is not, an, is not a compliment. Sheep are skittish. Sheep are scared of everything. Sheep are uh, stupid. They're senseless, and they're defenseless. This is how the Bible describes people. The Bible does not describe people as lions. We're lambs. We need help. We need a shepherd. We need somebody to guide us, lead us, and help us. And a lot of people who don't know Jesus, listen, you just need to understand, they're lost sheep. They may have gotten lost simply because their parents were lost and the blind was leading the blind. They may have gotten lost because they followed their feelings and they got stuck in some thorny bush and they don't realize even how they got there. They're sheep. They're foolish. They don't make wise decisions. That's the human condition. How many remember When you were not saved, the stupid things you believed, the foolish things you said, the ways that you lived, you were just like them. And I want to say something to the people who were saved longer than 10 years. There comes a point where you get saved and you stop remembering what it was like to be lost. Don't let that happen to you. That's how you turn into a religious hypocrite. That's how you turn into a hater. And the world doesn't need more of that. The world needs people who remember what it's like to be lost. Because that's what they are. And I would suggest to you that in every context in which every single one of you are, there's a whole lot of religious haters, but there's probably one person in that situation, in that job, in that organization, in that family, that God has sent you to. To be their light. To be their friend. To be Jesus to them. So what does Jesus say? What man of you having a hundred sheep? Verse 4. If he loses one. Doesn't leave the 99, go out in the open country and find it, and seeks until he finds it, and then he throws a party. Scripture talks about this as this was our condition. Verse 6 of Isaiah 53 All we, all we, like sheep, have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus died for us. The sheep were paid for by the shepherd's blood. But we were lost, we were fools. We were, we, were, we were undone by our own stupidity. Uh, the coin, letter B, lost because of someone's carelessness. Now, a coin doesn't get lost on its own. A sheep can get lost on its own. But a coin, no, somebody lost the coin. Somebody made a mistake with the coin. Somebody was flippant with the coin. I don't know. The coin got lost because of someone's carelessness. Some people that you work with and live with and are related to are lost because of someone else's actions. Actions. Now you know that I'm not a big fan of blaming other people for your problems but let's be honest there are some people that don't want to step foot in a church because of a priest or a pastor or a youth minister you know what I'm talking about I don't have to go any further there are some people who don't want anything to do with the church because all they've ever gotten from the church is judgmentality and hate and I totally get that and sometimes we me- when we message our message we don't think and we just kind of like draw the scarlet letter on people. We can always do better. But listen, sometimes people are hurt and lost and far from God because of the carelessness of someone else. This woman was careless. She, she lost a coin, that was, but, but the coin was still precious to her, so she went to work. Verse 8, what woman having ten silver coins? She, if she loses one, now, now the ten silver coins. Everybody listening to Jesus would have known what this is about. Women in those days would wear a headband with ten silver coins on their head to signify that they were married. And to lose one was an act of shame. It, would, it was almost like you had lost marriage. It was almost like you were a shameful woman. So she was desperate to find that coin again because of the value of that coin, of what it represented. And so she, what does it say? She lights a lamp. She sweeps the house. Two illustrations Some people are lost simply because the world is dark. Simply because there's confusion abounding. News networks reporting falsehoods left, right, and center. Fake news causing more and more confusion upon the people. We don't have true news. We have talk show hosts who are advertising slaves. They want to get your money. They want to get your attention. Pay attention to me. And you got to be careful of this. And our culture has embraced all of this nonsense. Um, oh, so much confusion. So much disorder, orderness in, 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 in just the, in the consciousness of our country. And some people, they're just lost in the darkness. We've got to light the lamp. That's what you are. You're the light. You need to shine. You can't show up tomorrow with a case of the Mondays and act like everybody else you got to hit the floor with your knees and say, Father, I'm going to work. But I'm not just going to work. I'm on assignment for you. I pray that you help me to shine the light of Jesus in that place and let other people see you through me. That's what you are. You are the light. And then number two, she sweeps the house. Implication. The house was dirty. And I think about this. The coin was covered in dirt. That's what some people are. They're just covered in the dirt of the world. They've had dirt cast on them. Somebody threw dirt on their life. She had to sweep. Now think about the illustration of sweep. Anybody ever sweep? And what does sweeping do? What does a broom do? It's, it stirs things up, doesn't it? It stirs up the dust. Suddenly there's all this dust. What happened? Well, the, the broom got involved. That's you. You, God's broom. The sweeping, the stirring is conviction of sin. When you step into the environment, there might be conviction of sin by the people in that environment. That's why they lash out at you. It's not about you. It's about they know they're in darkness. You represent something that they know is missing in their life. That is, if you're living a Christian life outside of the church, if they're very comfortable with you, something might be wrong. But stirring up, when I was working in the secular world, I, was a, I worked for the bank and I worked for restaurants and I remember just my presence would bring conviction. And I wouldn't preach, and I wouldn't, you know, just tell people they were sinners and go, I wouldn't do nothing. I just didn't do what they did after work. I just didn't involve myself. So they would call me Father Tim. Because they thought, here he is, oh yeah, Christian guy. Yeah, you don't want to go drink in us afterwards. Oh yeah, he doesn't involve himself in that. I didn't really, do. it wasn't like I was op- obscenely confrontation. I was just living a Christian life. And the presence of my life just brought stirring to their hearts what i'm trying to tell you is sometimes the hate from outside from from non-christians is good it's a good sign you don't fit in they don't like you amen jesus said don't put your head down rejoice be glad for great is your reward in heaven for so they treated the false prophets who are before you and i always like to say that the people who are right in one generation are often scorned by that generation. Copernicus was hated. He was called a heretic. hundred years later, they're like, oops, he was right. <laughs> same, same thing with uh, Christopher Columbus. And same thing, well, he's going the other way now. But nonetheless, same thing with other great thinkers of the past that people hated in their time and realized later that they were Right. Jeremiah was cast into a pit. Now we revere him as a man of God, mighty in stature and righteousness. Isaiah was hated and vilified. Now we know he was written, writing the very words of the living God. Paul the apostle was hated by the Jewish leaders. Jesus Christ himself was rejected by the people of this world. And today, 1.8 billion people call Jesus Lord. Just because they hate you today doesn't mean you're wrong. You're sweeping up the dirt stirring up conviction in people's hearts. And let me just say that a coin gets dirty because people lose it. So were you. You were dirty, weren't you? You were filthy. The Bible says in Psalm 53, verse 2, God looks down on the children of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek after God. They have all fallen away. They have all become corrupt. Another word for corrupt is they've all become filthy. That was us. That was who we are, were. That's, in some respects, that's still who we are, still getting cleaned up by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. My point is, have some compassion for people who are stuck in the darkness in the dirt of life. Because here's the thing about that coin, just because it's dirty doesn't mean it's worthless. I want you to write this down. Just because someone is far from God doesn't mean they don't matter to God. Just because someone is completely on the other side of an argument with you doesn't mean that they don't matter to God. Be careful. Love them in Christ's name. I know it's hard. I know it's crazy. This world is getting nutso in so many ways, beyond the pale. Now, our educational system is being exposed for the corruption that is involved here. As children are literally being indoctrinated into transgenderism, sexual confusion. And and a a bill from Florida that's so innocuous it's not even funny has to be labeled as the most hateful, intolerant thing on the planet. I want to say publicly and confidently, thank God we have at least one governor who's not afraid of the beast that is coming upon this age and is willing to stand up and say the truth. Where are the preachers, though? Where are the pastors and the men of God who need to stand up on the pulpit and say, This is nonsense. These are lies. Come out from among them and be transformed through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I still believe the blood of Jesus has power to save. I still believe the blood of Jesus can transform people's lives. I still believe the name of Jesus is the name by which all men must be saved. I believe there's demons, but I also believe that Jesus' name drives out the demons from the darkest of places. And Jesus has given us authority to go and trample on snakes and scorpions. Snakes in the schoolhouse, scorpions in the schoolhouse, scorpions in the courthouse, when we've got a Supreme Court nominee who can't even define what a woman is, but was ironically nominated for being a woman. The confusion, my friends, is what I'm talking about. And just because there's dirtiness and just because there's darkness doesn't mean we give up and wash our hands and go to heaven and do not care. No, God has sent us into this dirt and sent us into this darkness to be the light, to sweep up and stir up and to be the people for whom Christ died and Christ has sent into the dark places of the world to save those who are lost in sin. Because here's what I know about my scriptures, here's what I know about my Jesus He can wash up anybody. Isaiah 118, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Am I talking to anybody who got washed? Am I talking to anybody who if we saw you five years ago, we wouldn't recognize you. Am I talking to anybody who comes from an atheist household, an agnostic household, a house maybe a Muslim household, and you are completely in darkness? I thank God we're sending Mehdi and his wife down to South Coast to start a church in Tiverton, Rhode Island. This man was lost in the darkness of Islam, lost in the darkness of a religion of hate, and Jesus Christ got a hold of his heart and turned him into a mighty man of God, and now he preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. That's the power of Jesus. He washes people clean. And we've got to be here, understanding that people are lost in darkness and dirty. And just because they're dirty doesn't mean they're bad. Our Jesus can save them. Then the lost son, lost because of his own selfishness. And I think this is where most of America is, to be honest with you. We are, in many respects, the most self-centered culture in human history. (laughs) Americans have had it so good we've actually forgotten what real problems are. I mean, I don't like it any more than you, but gas being $5 a gallon is a first world problem. I know it hurts, but that's why I tell you, a couple weeks ago, get your kids down to Guatemala, into Peru. Let them see the joy, the absolute joy on a child's face when they're handed a ball. A ball. A cup of water. And so America is a lot like the prodigal son. They've had it so good for so long, they don't even realize it. And the prodigal son got lost. Why? Because he's let his self get a hold of him. What does it say in verse 12? The younger son said to his father, give me. Give me. More damage has been done to more souls on the basis of those two words than almost anything else. I deserve I want. It's all about me. The New Living Translation has this verse translated, Father, I don't want to wait until you die to have my inheritance. What the, what the son was effectively saying is, Dad, I'd rather you be dead and I get the stuff. That's the heart of the prodigal son. Give me the portion of the inheritance that's coming to me. And, and the father just does. The father lets him have it. By the way, implication, when you ask God to give you, sometimes he gives it to you. To let you see how dark it can get. Because you'll never learn the other way. How, how many of you, some of you, the only way you learn is by hitting rock bottom. The only way you learn is by getting smacked upside the head. You know what I'm talking about. He divided the property, and then it says this, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and went into a far country, squandered his property in reckless, reckless living, and when he had spent everything, suddenly there was a famine. Somebody say famine see, I, I, we, we read the New Testament with western eyes. We need to understand eastern eyes. What I mean by that is the Bible is written in the cultural east, not the cultural west. The cultural west is highly individualized. So we tend to focus on the son's choices, the son's determination, the son's, the son's you know, individuality. And that's what got him into the mess that he was in. But notice that the scripture says that he doesn't, get, he doesn't really end up hopeless until the famine happens. So when an Easterner looks at this text, they say, wait a second, the famine, that's, that's a God thing. God brought the famine. He would never have woken up if God didn't bring the famine and end him up in poverty. Understand this. Some, some of you can say, thank God for the famine that God let happen in my life. Thank, thank God I had to go through that hell, because if I had never gone through that hell, my eyes never would have opened like I said, some of you never learn it until you hit rock bottom. But how many know sometimes hitting rock bottom is the best place to bounce? Yeah. And, and, and I, I say this to parents on a regular basis, and I, every time I touch on this text, I, I, I touch on this. Let me just say it again. Parents, if you've got wayward children, let them go into the famine. If you've got wayward kids, let God bring the famine. Don't subsidize the famine. Are you hearing this? Don't subsidize the famine. It's in my house that the rule is very simple. If you worship my God, you live in my house. Ooh, pastor, that's tough. I don't know if I can do it. Yes, you can. Because I care more for my kids' eternal future than their temporal pain. I, it takes temporal pain. If it takes 20 years pain, so be it. I want them to know the famine of this world, the darkness of this world. If they've got to go through hell to get to heaven, so be it. So I'm just telling you, parents, some of you, the reason why your kids never want to come to church is because you subsidize them to live outside of the church. You let them be sinners, and, and you almost reward them, and they're never going to hit rock bottom if you keep paying for it. You've got to pull the rug out. Let, let God bring the famine, because sometimes a famine comes from God. Look at COVID, how it shook the world, man. It shook this church. It shook every church in the world. And it exposed a lot of things. A lot of false believers were exposed for the false believers that they were. And the true believers, man, they stuck through. It's been amazing to watch. It's actually been kind of fun. It's been kind of fun to see people hating on us for stupid crap like masks. And not staying six feet apart, like all this stuff. And now we're all being proven right. We're all being proven right and they're proven wrong. And I've seen the church go through this and I'm like, Lord, this is you. You're purifying, purging the church, getting the false believers out and the real believers in. Sometimes the famine comes from God. How did I get on this? God knows every sinner's story. So some people are lost because of foolishness. Some people are lost because of other's carelessness. And some people are lost because of their own selfishness. My point is this. That person you come face to face with. All right? There's a story behind them. You're the light. You're the broom. Shine and sweep. Point number two. God restores every sinner's true purpose. And that's what we see in this text. By the way, we see a trajectory in the three lost things. We see a trajectory of descendancy, the sheep is lost first because it gets isolated from the group. Step one for the devil's plan in your life. Get isolated. Hello. Get alone. Tell yourself, I don't need to go to church. You people online, you people online, you people watching me on television every week, I don't need to go to church, I'll just do it here in my living room. No, you do. You need to go to church. The devil has successfully kept you isolated from the church. You know you need the church. You were just fighting with your spouse right before you turned this program on. You need to get back into church. The sheep gets lost because of isolation. The coin gets lost in the dark. So the devil gets us isolated, then it gets us in the dark. The confusion of our age, the news that you guys watch, the news, all this nonsense, darkness, confusion. And then leaves the dirt. And then finally the son gets lost and he ends up what? Enslaved to a man in a far country feeding pigs. Slavery. So, first, isolation, separation. Second, darkness and confusion. Third, slavery. That is the trajectory of the devil. That's what the devil wants to do with every single one of your life. He wants to do it, and the first step. Listen, don't miss this. Is isolation from the kingdom of God, from the people of God. So, what God is in the business of doing is undoing that, bringing you back. First, He sets the captives free, gives them a new heart. A new spirit. The Bible says in Jeremiah 31 that the Lord puts a new spirit inside of you. He gives you a new heart. It is not external change. It's internal transformation. Sets you free. Then he shines the light on the things in your life that are not pleasing to him. Shines the light on that addiction. Shines the light on that consumption. Shines the light on that materialism and that jealousy and that envy and that greed and that pride and that lust. Shines the light and sweeps the house and cleans you up. To ultimately restore you to sonship. Give you authority in the house. Put the ring on your finger and the robe on your back and the shoes on your feet and uh, and slaughter the calf and celebrate because you are now a child of the living God, a member of the household of faith. And you've got a purpose. Jesus said in John 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and life abundantly. Sonship, daughtership, childship in the kingdom of God. Psalm 57, verse 2, I cry out to God, Most High, who fulfills His purpose for me. See, it's not just about coming to church. It's not just about being a good person. It's about living in the purposes of God. Do you know that God has a purpose and a plan for you? The extraordinary statistics that are coming out revealing how purposeless and aimless our young people feel. That's right. Because the world can't give you what God came to give you. The world can only give you pleasure, not purpose. The world can only subsidize what you think and feel inside. Jesus Christ can change it. Transform it. Resurrect you from death into life and give you a reason to exist. Point number 3, God rejoices over every returned child. Did you get this? Did you get this theme at the end of every single story? There's a party. The sheep is found. There's a party verse 7. I tell you There's more joy in heaven over one sinner. You understand, every time somebody gets baptized in our church, the heavens rejoice. Verse 10 says that the angels rejoice. I think about this. Some of you, you see the baptisms week in, week out. You don't rejoice. What's wrong with you? That's the most exciting thing you can see. I love the baptism today. From atheism and agnosticism into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah, Jesus is still saving people from darkness and bringing them into his world life. I'm excited to be a part of that. And then the Father, in verse 22, kill the fattened calf. Put the robe on, the ring on, the shoes on. Let's celebrate. That's what the church is. The church is a party. I don't understand churches. All the people do is go there and be quiet, sit down and shut up. No wonder why people don't want to be a part of the church. As, as Billy Joel famously said, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than the cry with the saints. But the problem is that Billy Joel went to the wrong church. That's the problem. He needed to get himself into a church that preached Jesus Christ. He needed to get into a church that preached the blood of Jesus, that rejoiced in the salvation work of Jesus, that looked forward to the return of Jesus. A church that wasn't dead, but a church that was alive in the power of the Holy Ghost. That's what we want to be, excited. We're made for a party. By the way, that's why you like parties, because you're going to a party. It's called the kingdom of heaven, the last supper at the marriage supper of the Lamb where we gather with all the generations from ages past and every person from every tribe and tongue and nation who's been washed in the blood and is in the heavens forever with the Father. That is our future. Jesus is coming back to bring us to a party. And my question to you is, are you going to be a tool in the hand of God to help Jesus reach those sinners and bring them home? Easter is coming. It's game time. Let's go, and let's invite, and let's pray, and let's be ready to tell sinners, come home. Stand with me. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Because I want to give you a chance in this moment for you. Maybe you need to come home. Maybe you need to say yes to Jesus. This is your chance. And now, here's, here's what I want you to hear me say real quickly don't be stubborn. Don't let one little thing keep you out of the kingdom of God. Don't let one little thing, don't let what your culture says keep you out of eternity. Don't let the darkness of this age blind you to the goodness of God. Repent and hand your life over to him. He's the one who made you. He's the one who loves you. He's the one who came to save you. So I want to ask you right where you are, if that's you, you need Jesus, to say some words. I, I lead you in a prayer in this moment, if that's you. And, and the prayer doesn't save you. The prayer is not mystical or magical. The prayer is just a way of confessing with your mouth that you believe in Jesus now. Because the scripture says that if we believe in our heart, if we, I'm sorry, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. It's by the mouth that you confess and by the heart you believe. So for some of you, that's what needs to happen right now, right here. And if that's you, would you say this quietly after me? You can say it quietly, but say it from your heart. Say, Heavenly Father, today I repent of my sin and I turn to you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins through Jesus Christ, your son. And today I surrender my life into his hand. Have your way with me. Guide me. Direct me and lead me. In Jesus' name.